Good evening, Patriots. And it's Thursday, Tuesday, August 16th. Not Thursday yet. East Coast, you just hit Wednesday. We'll catch up soon. And the world is getting crazier. The entire electric industry is starting to implode. Mm, it's too bad. We'll talk a little bit about that. And then we're going to dig into Isaiah tonight. We're going to begin talking a lot about the book of Isaiah, which I think is very, very relevant. Patriots, remember, when you need a good night's sleep. And to ensure a good night's sleep, you need great products to sleep on. Those products are things like pillows and sheets and mattresses. And there's not a better place to get those products than MyPillow.com. We have our own page on MyPillow.com, MyPillow.com forward slash Bards where you can use your promo code BARDS to take advantage of amazing savings. You've got the classic MyPillow down from to 1988 right now. You have Giza cotton sheets, buy one, get one free. You have Parkal sheets in there in that are just fantastic and wonderful for the summer. They're on sale. Great, great products all the way through and through. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash BARDS. And take, use your promo code BARDS, and you'll find all sorts of amazing savings, things that will truly benefit your health and your sleep, which gives you a stronger immune system, better day, better focus, especially in this time when there's so much crazy things going on. Plus, it's a company that every dollar you spend in one way or another supports the fight for our Constitution and our liberties. So, again, mypillow.com forward slash BARDS. Promo code BARDS, and if you want to use, you want to speak to a real person, then dial 800-975-2939, 800-975-2939, and you'll find a Patriot Pillow Counselor and just use your promo code BARDS. So to start with, just some interesting developments that are happening right now in China. They're having a water shortage in their factories, which is really kind of interesting because they had so much water. It just depends on where they are, obviously. But the uh, in the capital of Cheng, uh, Chengdu on Saturday, the Toyota, Toyota, which is one of the largest manufacturers of batteries, shut down its production. But that's going to affect more than just automobiles. It's also going to affect batteries in general. Just be aware. And it just says the shutdowns add to a growing number of industries stemming from solar panels to aluminum smelting. Volkswagen AG said on Monday that its factory in Chengdu is affected by power shortages, but that is what, but that it was only ex- expecting slight delays in deliveries to customers. Foxconn technology company also makes Apple iPads in the province, but it said it was going to see only limited impact from the drought so far. The drought is affecting the hydroelectric power. And then, of course, you may have heard, but it's good news, Liz Cheney lost her seat in Congress tonight. That's too bad. Mm, Out with another neocon. No one's shedding a tear. And the war on President Trump continues, whatever that looks like and for whatever craziness that's going to be. So... A lot of these things are just balls in the air, and you're not going to be able to keep track of much of anything other than just keeping our focus on Christ. Before we begin tonight, I want to play a short piece. It's about eight minutes, and it's an overview of Isaiah 1 through 39. This comes from the Bible Project. They do great work. I think it kind of sets the conditions really well for as we begin to talk about Isaiah. So here we go. 
The book of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived in Jerusalem in the latter half of Israel's kingdom period, and he spoke on God's behalf to the leaders of Jerusalem and Judah. He spoke, first of all, a message of God's judgment. He warned Israel's corrupt leaders that their rebellion against their covenant with God would come at a cost, that God was going to use the great empires of Assyria and after them Babylon to judge Jerusalem if they persisted in idolatry and oppression of the poor. But that announcement was combined with a message of hope. Isaiah believed deeply that God would one day fulfill all of his covenant promises, that he would send a king from David's line to establish God's kingdom, remember 2 Samuel 7, that he would lead Israel in obedience to all of the laws of the covenant made at Mount Sinai, remember Exodus chapter 19. And all of this was so that God's blessing and salvation would flow outward to all of the nations, like God promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And it's this hope that compelled Isaiah to speak out against the corruption and idolatry of Israel in his day. Now, the book has a pretty complex literary design, but there's one simple way to see how it all fits together. Chapters 1 through 39 contain three large sections that develop Isaiah's warning of judgment on Israel. And it all culminates in an event pointed to at the end of chapter 39, the fall of Jerusalem and the exile of the people to Babylon. But in chapters 1 to 39, there's also a message of hope that after the exile, God's covenant promises would all be fulfilled. And chapters 40 to 66 pick up that promise of hope and develops it further. In this video, we're just going to focus on chapters 1 to 39. The first main section focuses on Isaiah's vision of judgment and hope for Jerusalem, and it begins as Isaiah accuses the city's leaders of covenant rebellion, idolatry, injustice, and God says he's going to judge the city by sending the nations to conquer Israel. Isaiah says that this will be like a purifying fire that burns away all that's worthless in Israel in order to create a new Jerusalem that's populated by a remnant that has repented and turned back to God, and Isaiah says that that's when God's kingdom will come and all nations will come to the temple in Jerusalem and learn of God's justice, bringing about an age of universal peace and harmony. Now, it's this basic storyline of the old Jerusalem purifying judgment into the new Jerusalem. This is going to get repeated over and over throughout the book, getting filled in with increasing detail. So, at the center of this section is Isaiah's grand vision of God sitting on his throne in the temple. And he's surrounded by these heavenly creatures that are shouting that God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah suddenly realizes just how corrupt he and his people Israel are. And he's certain that he's going to be destroyed by God's holiness, but he's not. God's holiness, in the form of this burning coal, comes and burns him, but not to destroy. Rather, it purifies him from his sin. And as Isaiah ponders the strange experience, God commissions him with a very difficult task. He is to keep announcing this coming judgment, but because Israel has reached a point of no return, his warnings are going to have a paradoxical effect of hardening the people. But Isaiah is to trust God's plan. Israel is going to be chopped down like a tree and left like a stump in a field. And that stump will itself be scorched and burned. But after all of that burning, God says that this smoldering stump is a holy seed that will survive into the future. It's a small sign of hope, but who or what is that holy seed? The rest of this section offers an answer. Isaiah confronts Ahaz, a descendant of David and a king of Jerusalem, and he announces his downfall. God says that it's the great empire of Assyria who will first chop Israel down and devastate the land, but there's hope. Because of God's promise to David, he's going to send 
after this destruction, a new king named Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Emmanuel's kingdom is going to set God's people free from violent, oppressive empires. And Isaiah describes this coming king as a small shoot of new growth that will emerge from the old stump of David's family. It's this king that's the holy seed from chapter 6. And the king is going to be empowered by God's spirit to rule over a new Jerusalem and bring justice for the poor, and all nations will look to this messianic king for guidance. His kingdom will transform all creation, bringing peace. Now, you finish chapters 1 through 12 with a pretty good understanding of Isaiah's message of judgment and hope. But when will this all happen? Isaiah saw another empire arising after Assyria, and that's Babylon, who would also attack Jerusalem and actually succeed in destroying it. And that brings us into the next sections of the book. So first, we have a large collection of poems that explore God's judgment and hope for the nations. We learn, first of all, of the fall of Babylon and Israel's neighbors. Isaiah could see that Assyria's world power would one day be replaced by the empire of Babylon, a nation even more destructive and arrogant. Babylon's kings claimed that they were higher than all other gods, and so God vows to bring Babylon down. And not only Babylon. Isaiah goes on to list Israel's neighbors, accusing them all of the same kind of pride and injustice, and he predicts their ultimate ruin. But remember, for Isaiah, God's judgment is never the final word for Israel or the nations. And that leads into the next section with a series of poems that tell a tale of two cities. There's the lofty city that has exalted itself above God and become corrupt and unjust. This city is an archetype of rebellious humanity and it's described with language that's all borrowed from Isaiah's earlier descriptions of Jerusalem and Assyria and Babylon all put together. This city is destined for ruin and one day is going to be replaced by the New Jerusalem, where God reigns as king over a redeemed humanity from all nations, and there's no more death or suffering. These chapters are the climax to this section, and it shows how Isaiah's message pointed far beyond his own day. It was a message for all who are waiting for God to bring his justice on violent, oppressive kingdoms and bring his kingdom of justice and peace and healing love. The following section returns the focus to the rise and fall of Jerusalem. And first we find a whole bunch of poems where Isaiah accuses Jerusalem's leaders for turning to Egypt for military protection against Assyria. He knows this will backfire. And Isaiah says that only trust in their God and repentance can save Israel now. Which gets illustrated by the following story about the rise of Hezekiah, king of Jerusalem. Just as Isaiah predicted, the Assyrian armies come and try to attack the city. And so Hezekiah humbles himself before God and he prays for divine deliverance, and the city is miraculously saved overnight. But Hezekiah's rise is immediately followed by his fall. So he hosts a delegation from Babylon, and he tries to impress them by showing everything in Jerusalem's treasury and temple and palaces. It's clearly an effort to make another political alliance for protection. Isaiah hears about this, and he confronts Hezekiah for his foolishness. He predicts that this ally will one day betray him and return as an enemy to conquer Jerusalem. And we know from 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25 that Isaiah was right. Over a hundred years later, Babylon would turn on Jerusalem, come and destroy the city, its temple, and carry the Israelites away to exile in Babylon. 
And so all of Isaiah's warnings of divine judgment in chapters 1 to 39 lead up to this moment. He's shown to be a true prophet because it all came to pass like he said. But remember, the purpose of God's judgment was to purify Jerusalem and bring the holy seed and messianic kingdom over all nations. And it's that hope that gets explored in the next part of the book. But for now, that's what Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 are all about. So that's the Bible project. If you haven't watch them on YouTube. They're fabulous. They're, they just do amazing work. <clears throat> Isaiah is one of these books that's very, very relevant to our time. And I think if you were listening to that overview, you could see so many correlations to where we're at. The need for people to repent, to save themselves, God's need to put people, put the people through the fires of refinement to bring them closer to him and to purify them. And ultimately, the, the the deals that are made and the, the egos that get in place to try to wage peace through alliances rather than giving trust in God. We're in a lot of that same mix right now and a lot of opportunities that sit before us as a nation. As we're going to be continuing this path forward, we're seeing glimmers of some hope within all of this, but we also see some very dark clouds still hanging around. And the biggest war that we are facing right now is the war against the children. And that is something that is going to be our greatest yoke, in my opinion, if not our millstone, because this is something that as a nation, we continue to accept, turn our back to, or just all of, all of, in general, just let it be. We're not, we're not vocal about it. We're not loud about it. I'm going to play a piece before we read Isaiah 1. I want to read a piece, play a piece that I read or I played today. There's two of them, actually. Um, one is on the trafficking of illegals. That came from Steve Bannon. I want you to hear this. And then I, and I'm also going to play one on WePath, which is the World Physicians Association for Transgender Health. Let me start with that one. And then we'll move to the other. This is 56 seconds. For those who don't know, this organization sets the standards internationally for when children transition. And now they're lowering the age of transitioning, lowering the age of consent. Look at these commonalities and look at even more disturbingly what's up next. So starting at age eight, they're targeting little girls with dangerous drugs that stop their natural development. Dangerous drugs like Lupron that are given to pedophiles. We have to face the fact that the medical industry is profiting off of child mutilation and encouraging children to have plastic surgery. If we don't speak up now, nothing else matters. This is the battleground. Nations fall when good men and women do nothing to protect children. And that's exactly what we're seeing now because people are afraid to ruffle feathers. Well, let me tell you something. There will not be a country left or worth saving if we don't stand up and speak up now. Please use your voice. I did a pretty good rant on that earlier today, which I'll spare you tonight. But the point is that our children are being targeted and destroyed. And the future of the nation is going to rest on this completely. And not only are they being targeted, but children in general. We're seeing a influx, according to this next piece, which was a guest on Steve Bannon, of 40,000 illegals a month. Now, the question is, these are 40,000 children. Where are they going? 
And that's the question everybody needs to ask. They know where they're being dropped off. Who's picking them up? What's becoming of them? And we have a pretty good idea what's happening. The human sex trafficking side of this, of our society, is so nasty. I mean, it, it should bring every patriot to arms, literally. But we're not. And because it's not in our face or because it's somebody else's kid, child that's been kidnapped, we just kind of turn a blind eye and we go. We can't seem to get our head around how deep this is, including family services and how it's integrated into our governments. It's part of certain law enforcement agencies. This is a very real and active problem. And we have let it grow, and it's growing, and we're still not saying much about it. Listen to this piece, four minutes. So basically, MVM Inc. was exposed to be flying migrants to suburban New York in the middle of the night. The reason why this employee is being blurred out right now is for his protection, because he actually gave us an inside scoop into how these children are being moved every single day throughout Texas. He says that in his office, two to 5,000 children are moved per week. However, there are four separate offices here in the Texas area, in McAllen, in Houston, San Antonio. Uh, and of course, we have an area in Pecos as well. So between all of the offices, he's saying around eight to 10,000 kids uh, per week between all offices and then upwards of eight to 10,000 or uh, I apologize, 30 to 40,000 children per month. So that's a little bit of what we're seeing regarding the numbers of how these children are being bused throughout the U.S. and um, as well, charter planes, buses. This is the same company that signed a $136 million federal contract last year in 2021 under Joe Biden's administration. So just a bit of an insight on how this is being federally funded and how the Biden administration is paying to ship thousands of children across the U.S. every single day. Well, you know, Eric Adams, uh, Mayor Bowser in D.C., she's called out the National Guard and they've said no because a couple of thousand Abbott. And I wasn't a big fan of when Abbott first did this. But now I think in seeing the meltdown, particularly in New York City, Eric Adams is a complete vapor lock. And they've just had, I think, four or five thousand. And now they're taking out one of the luxury hotels in Times Square, uh, the old, I think, Milford Hotel. If you remember the commercials from back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, the Milford Plaza. They're taking that hotel and going to house, I think, up to 1,000 illegal aliens uh, that that are coming. And Eric Adams is a complete meltdown. And I think people in New York are going to say, hey, we can't do this. Our welfare system can't handle the folks we have in need. Uh, our education system, our health system, we can't, we can't do it right now. But you're talking about numbers on a scale. It makes sense when you then see the entire invasion on a monthly basis and you see what's happening uh, really on the getaways. This just reinforces the fact that, you know, the children are being used by the cartels. They're being used by people as a gateway into the United States. And the Biden administration is exacerbating this. They've created a superhighway. They're in on they're not just in on the fix. They're actually part of the fix. And they're paying these companies like this individual you got. That's a, a whistleblower. Can we play the other tape? We have another part of your interview with him. I want to play that right now. For those of us in the audience who might not know what MVM Inc. is, can you explain to us what your company is and what they do? It's a company that focuses on getting, uh, they call it UCs, unaccompanied children, unaccompanied minors, getting them from point A to point B. And most of the time, point A is from a shelter uh, all, all throughout Texas and all across the country. And point B is with a sponsor. Most of the time, it's a family member. 
but maybe the numbers are so crazy that it's no longer family members, it's family friends, uh, people who are willing to take them in. And a lot of the times they don't even know each other. So my job is to show up. I get a view folder that tells me where I'm going, who's my partner, and where we're going to be picking kids up. And my job is to be with them on the airplanes, be with them on the buses. Sometimes it's buses and sometimes it's charter planes. When it's charter planes, we move anywhere between 200 to 300 kids on one plane. It won't just be one plane. It will be two, three planes at a time that leave. I do know that when we start off, we'll drop off in Texas. So we'll go from one plane in Texas to another. And then these same charter planes will go to New York, we'll go to California, we'll go to Washington, and then they'll finish off in Oregon or another state nearby. So it's not just one state, it's not just one drop-off. You go to one destination, drop-off, the kids are getting off there, and then you continue on. So if you could give us an estimate, how many children per month do you think are being moved just in the Texas area? Well, like I said, it's between all the, all the offices, it's in the thousands, I say eight to 10, but that's in one week. So in a month, I would say around 40,000, 30,000 kids. 40,000, 30,000 kids per month coming into this country without adults. Where are they going? What's becoming of them? We know. <clears throat> And that's ultimately our judgment as a nation. And this is something we're going to have to come into a reckoning with because when we're, as a society, when we're allowing this to happen, there is no way this will lead to good things. It won't lead to grace. It won't lead to mercy. It will lead to destruction. And I think that when we start to look at how deep this is, the fact that there's so little still being talked about it should disturb everybody. There's 80 million people that voted for President Trump. There's probably 120 million now that are more on this side of, on that side. There's 330 million people in this nation. The numbers are on our side. If you had just 10 million people, dedicated to in talking about this every day, it would grow. The awareness would grow. The problem is we have also an equally large number of people that don't want to hear about it because they don't want to believe it. They can't fathom that it could be that bad or they just don't. They're just in confirmation denial. The confirmation bias is just a denial, denial. So let me go back to Isaiah because all of these things is kind of a setup tonight. As we've heard about Isaiah, the book, in an overview of chapters 1 through 39. And we're looking at our country. We're in a place right now where we are very much on the edge of being in major judgment. We have let so much fall, and one of the worst things we've possibly done is to allow, as a nation, as a people, we've allowed children not only to be murdered out of the womb, but trafficked, abused, and even sacrificed. And when we dig deeper into that, this Babylonian system, which we've brokered, all of us have brokered a deal with, this Babylonian system does not run 
unless it has the blood of children on its treads. This Babylonian system requires children to be sex trafficked, to be murdered, to be abused. That's part of its engine. And there is no greater value of a commodity than a child on, in the elite circles. So these things should be put everything in perspective. When you, when you pick up a dollar bill, when you look at your bank balance, when you look at your balance in your 401k, you need to keep in mind that all of that exists now. It's blood money. And behind all of that is, in one way or another, it touches sex trafficking. That's the world that we're in, and that's the sins that we carry as a nation. When we're in this critical point right now, when they're trying to force us into digital currencies and whatever else, this is literally a point where everything in dealing with the government, we have to say no. No. They want to come for your guns? Say no. You want to, they want to come in your house? Say no. Just don't answer the door for that matter. But it's a point of saying no. We have to step away from a system because this system does not seek to do good for anyone. And this is why I push back so much on this hopium of the vote in November, on November 8th, because this sort of stuff isn't going away with a few America First candidates. In fact, this sort of stuff is going to be part of blackmailing those new candidates to make sure that they keep in line. That's the real of what we're dealing with. So let's go to Isaiah 1. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. Listen, heavens and earth. Listen, heavens and hear earth. For the Lord has spoken. Sons I have raised and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner and a donkey its master's manager. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, people weighed down with guilt, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from him. Where will you be stricken again as you continue in your rebellion? The, can, the entire head is sick and the entire heart is faint. From the sole of the feet even to the head, there is nothing healthy in it, only bruises, slashes, and raw wounds. Not pressed out, nor bandaged, nor softened with oil. Your land is desolate, your cities are burned with fire, as your fields strangers are devouring them in front of you. It is desolation as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a city under, the, under watch. If the Lord of armies had not left us few survivors, we would be like Sodom, and we would be like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah, what are you, your many sacrifices to me, says, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this, 
trampling of my courtyards. Do not go on bringing your worthless offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the proclamation of an assembly. I cannot endure wrongdoing and the festival assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you offer many prayers, I will not be listening. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, obtain justice for the orphan, plead for the widow's case. Come now and let us debate your case, says the Lord. Though your sins are are as scarlet, they should become as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now the faithful city has become prostitute. She who was full of justice. Righteousness once dwelt in her. But now murderers. Your silver has become waste matter, your drink diluted with water, your rulers are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and chases after gifts. They do not obtain justice for the orphan, nor, do, nor does the widow's case come before them. Therefore the Lord God of armies, the mighty one of Israel, declares, Ah, I have satisfaction against my adversaries and avenge myself on my enemies. I will also turn my hand against you and smelt away your impurities as with lie. And I will remove all your slag. Then I will restore your judges at, at, as at first and your counselors as at the beginning. After that, you will be called to the city of righteousness, a faithful city. Zion will be redeemed with justice and her remnant ones, repentant ones, with righteousness. But wrongdoers and sinners together will be broken, and those who abandon the Lord will come to an end. You certainly will be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired, and you will be embarrassed by the gardens which you have chosen. For you will be like an oak whose leaf withers away, or like a garden that has no water. The strong man will become like flax fiber, and his work a spark. So they shall both burn together, and they will be no one to extinguish them. This, <laughs> I'll tell you, when I read this, it's literally like reading this in today. And I don't know how you hear it, but for me, as I'm reading through this, this entire piece of the beginning of Isaiah is like laying down the foundation of what we are witnessing in this very day. We'll do Isaiah 2. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. 
and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let's go to the, up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go out from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he will judge between the nations and will mediate for many peoples, and they will beat their swords like plow into plowshares and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not lift up a sword against the nation, and never again will they learn war. Come, house of Jacob, and let's walk in the light of the Lord, for you have abandoned your people, the house of Jacob, because you are filled with the influences from the east, and they are soothsayers like the Philistines. They also strike bargains with the children of foreigners. Their land has also been filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is, has also been filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. And their land has also been filled with idols. They worship the work of their hands, that which their fingers have made. So the common person has been humbled, and the person of importance has been brought low, but do not forgive them. Enter the rocky place and hide in the dust from the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The proud look on humanity with, with brought low, will be brought low, and the arrogance of the people will be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. For the Lord of armies will have a day of reckoning against everyone who is arrogant and haughty and against everyone who is lifted up that he may be brought low. And it will be against the cedars of Lebanon that are lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, against the, all of the hills that are lifted up, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish. And against all of the delightful ships and the pride of humanity will be humbled and the arrogance of the people will be brought low and the Lord alone will be exalted on that day and the idols will come, will completely vanish. People will go into caves of the rocks and into the holes in the ground and away from the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty. When he, and when he rises to terrify the earth, on that day people will throw away to them moles and to the bats throw their, their, their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship in order to go into the clefts of the rock and crannies of the cliffs. Before the terror of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty, when he arises to terrify the earth, take no account of man whose breath of life is in his nostrils, for why should he be esteemed? We are in such a time that is so in many ways parallel to what Isaiah saw in his own time. A society that's literally turned its back on God. A society that is not paying any attention to the Lord, but paying attention to themselves and their idols, making new idols, in fact, all of the time and finding that joyous. We have a, a, a nation of just horrific sexual practices, no different than Sodom and Gomorrah. And the end result is that it's always the innocent that are getting victimized. 
And the parallels with Isaiah to hear how this is how, what he's seeing the Lord will do is, in my opinion, very much as the journey we will walk. We're going to have to trod through this, and it's going to be very difficult. People have been misled to a large degree to think that somehow this is going to be solved quickly. Even if you take out a bunch of these thugs, the process of healing this nation will take years. And even though the Lord has the power to heal instantly, that process of healing has to be set in such a way that it will never happen again, at least not in lifetimes that we know. And to do that, people will have to endure the suffering. I will tell you this, that some of that is my opinion. Some of that comes from books like Isaiah, and some of that comes from prayer. So there's a mix in that statement. But I truly, I have a very strong sense that there's going to be an endured time that we have to endure the pain of of what we've created. And it's for that reason that it's the only way that God can refine us because it's through the suffering and the pain that we start to turn to him again and start to realize the errors of our ways. The importance of that remnant, though, can never be understated because it is the remnant that ultimately keeps the moral line for the nation. And without it, the nation falls. We'll do Isaiah 3, and then this will be, that'll close for tonight. For behold, the Lord God of armies is going to remove from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support the entire supply of bread and the entire supply of water, the mighty man and the warrior, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of 50 and the esteemed person, the counselor and the expert artisan and the skillful enchanter. And I will make mere boys their leaders and mischievous children will rule over them and the people will be oppressed each one by another and each one by his neighbor, the youth will assault the elder and the contemptible person will assault the one honored. When a man lays hold of his brother in his father's house saying, you have a cloak, you shall be a ruler and these ruins will be under your authority. He will protest on that day saying, I will not be your healer for in my house there is neither bread nor cloak. You should not appoint me ruler of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen because their speech and their actions are against the Lord. To rebel against his glorious presence, the expression of their faces testifies against them and they display their sin like Sodom. They do not even conceal it. Woe to them. For they have done evil to themselves, say in the righteous that it will go well for them. For they will eat the fruit of their actions. Woe to the wicked. It will be badly for them. For they he deserves will be done to him. For my people, their oppressors treat them violently and women rule over them. My people, those who guide you, lead you astray and confuse the directions of your path. The Lord arises to contend and stands to judge the people. The Lord enters into judgment with the elders and leaders of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The goods stolen from the poor are in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and oppressing the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of armies. Moreover, 
the Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with heads held high and seductive eyes and go along with mincing steps and jingle the anklets on their feet, the Lord will afflict, afflict their scalp of the daughters of Zion with scabs and the Lord will make their foreheads bare. On the day the, the Lord will take away their beauty of their anklets, headbands, crescents, ornaments, dangling earrings, bracelets, veils, headdresses, ankle chains, sashes, perfume boxes, amulets, finger rings, nose rings, festival robes, outer garments, shawls, purses, papyrus garments, undergarments, headbands, and veils. Now it will come that instead of balsam oil, there will be stench. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, a plucked-out scalp. Instead of fine clothes, a robe of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men will fall by the sword and your mighty ones in battle. Your, and her gates will lament and mourn and she will be sit and she will sit deserted on the ground. In Afghanistan, it's not uncommon to see a woman in a burqa, completely abandoned with a child. Sometimes it's because her husband was killed or perhaps she was cast out, sitting somewhere on the road just begging for whatever she can get. This country doesn't know the pains and sufferings of, of falling. They, don't they haven't had in their memory a time when everything has collapsed, where scraping together just the basics becomes a treat. My mom made a soup tonight. It was an interesting soup story. She found a story in Epic Times. And the soup, the soup was great. It was a bean and carrot and uh, corn and potato soup with sausage, a little bit of sausage. But the story was that many of these items that the soup was made of were what scraps they had or things that they had in the winter in a very dark time in our nation, depression time. And the memory that this person had of this soup was that what made it extra special is somehow, he said, his mom was able to scrape together a few extra pennies to be able to buy a little bit of beef just to put it in so that there was some meat flavor. This is a time, as he described, when they would go without food many times. Meals were often short. I can tell you that we're now here at that point. Not because you or I necessarily have shortages, but all we have to do is look around at how many in this nation are now without, how far we have fallen. Our leaders are being stripped away. We have no leadership, and yet we're wandering, kind of meandering through a desert. We have elites fighting elites. We have the largest homeless population we've ever seen. Cities are falling apart. They're burning all of these things were of what Isaiah had seen in his own time, and we're seeing them again. So why is that? Is it because God's repeating things, or is it because we didn't learn? 
the end is the same. There's judgment upon the nation. And this is a time that we need people calling out for people to repent, to seek the truth, to become knowledgeable in the truth, and then to share the truth. And with that, to share the word of God, to share the love in Christ. These are powerful times of change or they're powerful times of fall. We are in the valley of decision. And it's not going to be an easy walk. The problem we have right now as a nation is that people want things just to be like they were. Numb, walking around this world, mindless. They want the movie theaters to open so they can go lose themselves into another Hollywood fantasy that consumes their thoughts for the next two weeks. They want their Walmarts restocked with all the meat and all the normal things so that they can buy some extra special low-cost items that have come from China or some other hellhole around the world. No matter how these, these were harvested or processed or whether the labor was slave labor or kept in some form of economic slavery that will never allow them to rise up. No matter because it's cheap on the Walmart shelves. We have another groups of people that are eager to get their new electric car because somehow that's going to save the environment. Even though they're adding to so much with the purchase of a new vehicle, but they're willing to spend that 65000 85000 120000 all in the sake of saving the world. We have the excitement of the elections. Some are winning, both sides in one way or another are having small victories, but we have yet to have a candidate say to the Lord, thank you for the win. And we don't hear audiences standing before the candidates saying, thank you, Lord, for the win. Because we don't. Because as a nation, we've drifted away. And all the while, there's 40,000 children coming across our border and uncounted children being kidnapped within. They're being abused. Some children don't even get to see this life because they're being vacuumed out of somebody's womb. And then we have our elderly, which conveniently we have found a great place in our heart to consider our parents to be a burden so that when they get older, we find that affordable retirement home that will take enough of their retirement, but not so much that I don't get my share and we kick them out. And then we're, we're pained when we see the bank balance fall of all that great money that they had saved for us to get. And we start to consternate ourselves over what are we going to do to make sure that there's still something left for me as if we're entitled. Our nation needs to repent and repent in the deepest and most powerful ways. Judgment is here. It's not coming. It's here. And we are in the valley of decision. And this is a time for us to decide. Each of us must decide to walk or not walk with Christ. But as a nation, we have to make that choice too. Nations will be judged in our time. And it's something profound to reflect upon. And what that does is when we realize the magnitude of the event, we realize the responsibility that God has put on us to do the discipleship that's before us. 
This isn't a time to stay quiet or say, well, my neighbor won't do anything if I tell them about child sex trafficking. Then be damned where they go because they must hear. And if they can't hear, then they will find their place in the lake of fire like all the others. See, we don't have enough fire and brimstone speeches laying out the consequences because we don't like those consequences. They're inconvenient truths. It's not good to hear that, well, I believe in Jesus, but I won't, I don't want to hear about child sex trafficking. It's not really that bad. And I really don't care that much because I can't do anything about it. Wrong answer. We all have a play. We all have a play to protect our elderly, to protect the innocent, to give voice to those that have no voice, and to ensure that of, the, of all the gifts that are given into this world, that we are protecting the children. That's not one person. That's not two people. That is the collective society reestablishing the value and the moral base under which we live. And that is where we sit now, in that valley of decision. Patriots, we need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for the people of this nation to get on their damn knees because judgment is here. And so let us pray. Father, tonight we are reminded of the magnitude of the things that we must confront as a nation as Isaiah saw his world, so we see ours. A time when so much judgment is upon us and well-earned, in fact. The things that we have accepted as a nation are horrific. The crimes against children are unbearable. The violence against one another, unimaginable, and yet it happens every day. It happens every hour. It happens every minute. It happens almost every second. Father, forgive this nation. Forgive us all. And our hearts hurt for this. But Lord, we always seem to confront these I don't know what to do statements. What should I do? Obviously, we need to maintain our prayers and our prayers to you to humble ourselves before you to ask for the forgiveness necessary to heal this nation. And we do. And we are. And we need to pray for justice, Father, because we know that your hand can bring justice. But we also pray for the strength of people to use their voice, to use the voice to share truth, to open people's eyes. And even if they don't want to open, at least the truth seed has been planted. So, Father, we just pray for the strength of the many to speak the truth to the others that are around them, to speak to them, write to them, shake their hand and have a cup of coffee, whatever it takes. But let us share the truth. Let us help, help us open these eyes. Our nation needs to repent. Forgive us, Father, for all the sins. We pray for mercy on this nation for all that has passed. We say these things humbly in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we encounter great families that have children, that cherish children, it, it just makes your heart warm. When we read of the horrors against children, 
you ask yourself, how is it possible? Who is the parent that allowed that to happen? Who's the, who are the parents of these children that are being trafficked across the border? Are these kids coming from birthing slave clinics? I don't know. Where are they coming from? Where are they going? Questions that every American should be asking. But that's, that's kind of awkward, isn't it? Because if we do that, then we have to start acknowledging things like, well, those, that cross-border traffic, it's not really a good thing. And if I have to pay attention to that, my vanilla double-squeezed twist latte is not going to taste as good. So I don't really want to think about that right now. And if I have to talk about the children, it's going to take the attention off of me, off of my identity crisis, my rainbow flag, my LGBTQ sexual identity confusion. And so I don't want to talk about the kids. See, this is where our society has become. We need to pray for our nation. And we need to use our voice and be loud. That time is now. We'll continue with Isaiah tomorrow night. Keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God will always win. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. Our nation needs to repent, walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ, occupy the land, expand the kingdom, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow for bended knee until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. All this time we had to prove that we could stand here too. All the nights been pushing through Fight for all we had to lose Reaching out for something To pull us up to the level ground Oh, I can see it now I can see it now Fit.
Thank、you.